I'm sure many people uh, have had expectations of a variety of things, right? You have expectations about maybe it's a new job. Uh, you have expectations about a relationship. Uh, maybe you have expectations about a church that you, you visit or attend. And many, many, many times we find out that those expectations don't always match what? Reality. Uh, it's especially when it comes to vacations. How many people have planned vacations here with high expectations, high hopes, and had those dashed? Okay, a few, a few of you, right? Uh, so there's this website you could go to where, uh, particularly when it has to do with sightseeing, you see all these wonderful pictures of what something's going to look like, and then you get there and you're kind of like dumbfounded at how it's not anything like that at all. So what I did was take this uh, from this website, you can go online, and this lady has composed pictures of the expectation of what they were going to see and then the reality of it. So first we have the Christ Redeemer statue. Beautiful, right? Uh, it's clear, crystal clear. There's not a cloud in the sky. Uh, blue, blue sky, sunny day. This was the reality. This was the reality. So it was, it's actually pretty clear that the expectation did not meet the reality. How about, how about the San Francisco Bridge? Has anyone seen the San Francisco Bridge? Oh, a few of you, okay. I never got to see the San Francisco Bridge, but, or yeah, the Golden Gate Bridge. I imagine it would look like that, right? Sun in the background, either setting or rising. I'm not sure which one it's doing. Uh, but the, the hues and the red and the calm, and, and it's just absolutely beautiful. So the person who went on that trip expected to see that, and this is what they got. I think they got the... Uh, I think they got the colors right. You see the, see the red and the, and the white, but the fog just uh, rolled in and, and they couldn't see a thing. Now, how about Disney, Disneyland? That's never going to let you down, right? Because it's a magical place. And you imagine being a little girl and uh, just so excited to see the, uh, the Princess Castle, you know, and you get there and all of a sudden you see that, which is a cover with it painted on or, 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 you know, printed on because I think they, they were doing some uh, renovations at the time, not so, not so magical experience. Uh, third, uh, fourth and final one, and this one is kind of important to me because, uh, and my family, because we're planning on going to a trip to England at some point. And this is like quintessential England, right? The Big Ben, gray skies, you can't have blue skies because... It's always raining over there anyway. It looks like a, something out of the Peter Pan story, right? How about you go and you see that? <laughs> looks like they're doing some construction. I guess for that one, you just have to go at the right time. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not, actually. We have a lot of expectations, don't we? And then those expectations meet reality. Whether it's a job, whether it's school, whether it's relationships, uh, but even within Christianity, there's expectations of what we think our, our, our walk with Jesus Christ is going to look like. Um, and particularly here in this passage, what it's going to look like as we go out into this world. What can you and I expect to see as we love and follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants us to make sure 
that our expectations match what he's going to tell us today. So we're going to be looking at two expectations of discipleship in our relationship to the world. The first one is you and I can expect the same hatred that was given to Jesus Christ. So verses 18 and 19, John chapter 15. If the world hates you, I want you to know something. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, uh, the world hates you. R.C. Sproul shares what he calls one of his most embarrassing experiences of enlightenment, the first month after he became a Christian. He was in college shortly after his conversion. He went home for the weekend. When he arrived, he went to the local drugstore where his friends would gather on Friday nights. That kind of sounds like R.C. Sproul. That's what they used to do, I think, back then, where they would gather at the local drugstore and hang out and get in trouble. So all through high school, R.C. had actually been the, the kind of undesignated or unofficial leader of the group. And he wanted to share with his friends what he says is the greatest thing that ever happened to him, the cause of all of his happiness, Jesus Christ. And he says, I fully expected them, as I told my buddies about Jesus, I fully expected them to say, wow, R.C., that's awesome. We're so happy for you. Man, I want to believe in Jesus too. He says, I expected them to say, we're right there with you. Instead, he says, they were unanimous in their rejection of everything I said. And he says, not only did they reject what I said, they manifestly rejected me. Jesus wants us to know something. He wants us to understand something. When we follow him, when we abide in Jesus Christ, when we're loving Jesus Christ, as we are following him, it automatically puts us in opposition with this world. He says, if the world hates you, know of first priority or of importance, know something, know that it hated me first. Understand, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Because Christianity is completely antithetical to everything this world loves and holds dear. This is a, a, a black and white distinction. There is no middle ground between the world and the Christian. When it comes to beliefs, when it comes to values, when it comes to ethics and ideologies... Believing in Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ, puts us in direct conflict with this world. It does so because Jesus has chosen us out of this world. There is no vagueness as to our relationship to the world. There is no middle ground that is absolutely black and white. 
joining to Jesus, our union with him, separates us and causes an automatic rift with the world. And we all need to understand that, and we all need to expect that. We all need to expect that if you and I are following Jesus Christ, if we're loving Jesus Christ, the world is not going to love us. There is no middle ground. We cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven, though many, many, many today are trying to do just that. The world hated Jesus Christ, and the world will hate those who love him like you and me. Now, I want to be clear. There's some, there's some things that we can do that I think kind of deserves the, deserve the reaction that we get from this world. We're not to look for things for, for, to antagonize the world. And I think there are things that the church does that actually kind of warrant the world's reaction because we, we, we sometimes antagonize them. We want to fight them. We want to uh, enter into conflict with them over things that are not important. This is over the gospel. This is over the morals and the ethics and the values that we find in Scripture that we are to stand firm on. So we're not go looking for fights with the world, but if we're loving Jesus, if we're following Jesus, if we're obeying Jesus, we can expect this attitude from the world. We can expect them to, to feel this way towards us. Why? Because Jesus calls into question everything about the world. The world is ending. Human beings are, are, are sinful at birth. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. The world does not want to hear those things. And if you and I are claiming to love Jesus, yet we're not hated by the world, we might want to ask ourselves why that is. John is going to take this later on, and he says, hey guys, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised. Don't let it shock you if the world hates you. And we can't be surprised because everything that the gospel speaks about calls into question the world, its beliefs, its values. We're telling people that this world is not what it's about. We're telling people that they cannot save themselves. We're telling people that they are sinful. Of course, the world is going to have this reaction. The world doesn't want to hear it. Jesus says to his uh, brothers who were trying to get him to go to the feast, the world cannot hate you. Why? Exactly what he says. The world loves its own. But it hates me. Why does it hate Jesus? Because he testifies that its deeds are evil. Part and parcel of being a Christian is doing exactly that. We're testifying to this world that its deeds are evil. D.A. Carson says the cry of this world is conform, conform. And though the temptations that we face here in the United States are not like the temptations that others faced uh, with totalitarian regi regimes. They are different, but they still get us to conform. 
the temptations that we face are those of wealth, success, and fame, comfort, and we begin to confuse the victorious Christian life with, as what he says, are these insidious heresies. Jesus does not want us to enter into discipleship, and you and I are not to go into Christianity or live it out thinking that we can make a truce with the world, though many people are doing just that. So what happens is we forget this idea, and we want to be loved by the world, And because we want to be loved by the world, because we don't want to lose what the world is offering, what do we do? We compromise. And it's happening all over Christianity today. Uh, One of the major areas that is happening, and I'm just picking this because it's it's an example of it, is within the uh, homosexuality. And what happens is when Christians have a platform, instead of using that platform to speak the truth in love and in grace, they use that, they keep that platform, and they compromise. And they're afraid to give up the platform because they want the love of the world. There's a recent interview with popular blogger Jen Hatmaker. She's a very, very influential evangelical woman. She was asked this question. Do you think that an LGBT relationship can be holy? Hatmaker replied, I do. Yes, it can be sanctified. Yes, it can be acceptable to God. And then she says this, my views here are tender, and this is a very nuanced conversation meaning complex. That's all smoke. Now, the, the, the reason why this may happen, yes, there's, there's history, there's, there's, there's family issues. Uh, that person might have experienced something, and we can have a context of why it makes somewhat sense that they are engaging in that behavior. But the point is, it's not complex because it's not holy. God says it's not holy. And she says some things that are right. She says, I've seen too much pain and rejection with the gay community in the church. That's that's true. We have to learn how to communicate to them. She says, I've witnessed overwhelming sorrow. And we have to be tender enough to have hard conversations. Very, very true. However, Rosaria Butterfield challenged her on this, and I want you to hear what she says here. She says, she challenged her on this tenderness because it leaves people in sin. Butterfield wrote, if this were 1999, the year that I was converted and walked away from the woman and the lesbian community that I loved, instead of 2016, she said, Jen Hatmaker's words about the holiness of this type of relationship would have flooded into my world like a bomb of Gilead. I would have thought, yes, I can have Jesus and I can have my girlfriend too. Yes, I can flourish in my tenured academic discipline, which her tenured academic discipline was queer theory and English literature, and in my church also. 
Maybe I wouldn't need to lose everything. Maybe the gospel wouldn't ruin me when I waited, waited for the Lord to build me back up after he convicted me of my sin and I suffered those consequences. Today I hear Jen's words and a thin trickle of sweat creeps down my back if I were still in the thick of the battle of indwelling sin of that type of desire, Jen's words would have been a millstone around my neck. To be clear, she says, I was not converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief. I did not swap out a lifestyle. I died to a life that I loved. I picked this right. I picked this because this is an area of compromise right now. And what we are trying to do is, is belong to the world. We're trying to stay in the world. When Jesus Christ says, I've chosen you out of the world. You, you can't be of the world anymore because you belong to a different family. You have different values. You have different morals. And you have to live those out in this world. No matter what the consequences are. And when we have platforms like this, we are to use them for His glory, not for our benefit. Because when we compromise, we're not just compromising His truth, we're keeping people in sin. She would have been left in sin. She heard that. James later on is going to say this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. When we make that choice, when we conform to this world, when we compromise the truth of His gospel, yeah, we're no longer in conflict with the world. We're fighting God Himself. And no matter what happens, we have to stand firm, just like Mark said the other week. What a, what a great example of what we're supposed to do in this world. Stand firm. Love your enemies. And know that what? God can change people like that. There's a woman who was not just involved in that type of lifestyle, but actually taught it. Actually promoted it. And what happened? God changed her heart. Not because people compromised, because people didn't compromise and they shared the truth. And if we're being loved by this world, if we're compromising, no matter where it is, and if we're being loved by this world, we got to ask ourselves why. Am I not abiding? Am I not following Jesus? Or am I afraid? 
Am I ashamed of the truth of the gospel? And do I want to keep what I have in this world? This world is going to end. And the world that we're going to is the one that's going to last forever. We should expect the world to have the same attitude towards us that it had towards Jesus, an attitude of, of hatred. Hatred. And that hatred, like in the case with Stephen, sometimes rises to what? Violence and persecution. So we can expect the same treatment that Jesus got as well. For bad, but also for good. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. This article starts out, now here's something you don't see every day. And you'll see why in a second. In the wake of Ireland's landslide victory to allow same-sex marriages in their country, journalist Matthew Paris, this guy here, who calls himself a gay atheist, publicly laments the church's wishy-washiness. Paris writes this, even as a gay atheist, I wince to see the philosophical mess that religious conservatives are making of their case. Is there nobody of intellectual stature in the church to frame the argument against Christianity's slide into just going with the flow of social and cultural change? Paris continues his lament. Can't these Christians see that the moral basis of their faith cannot be sought in the pollster's arithmetic? Would it have occurred for a moment? This guy's preaching at this point. I just want to say this right here in this section. Would it have occurred for a moment for Moses, let alone God, to say that he better defer to Molech worship? Because that's what most of the Israelites wanted to do. He says it must, be, it must surely be implicit in the claim of any world religion that on the question of morality, the majority may actually be wrong. But this should be vividly evident to Christians in particular. And then he says this, they need only consider the fate of their Messiah. And the persecution of adherence to the early church. That should blow our minds. This guy understands exactly what Jesus Christ is saying. If they persecuted me, I'm the master, I'm the king, I'm the Lord of all, and they killed me on a cross. They're going to kill me on a cross. If they did this to me, what else can we expect? It, 
He's preaching. That's actually a really, the Molech thing is really good. He's telling, he's saying, what do, you, what do you think? Why defer? Why conform? Why give in? Look at Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus was persecuted. They need only consider the fate of, Jesus, of their Messiah. Wow. Thank you. He gets exactly what Jesus is saying. Folks, Jesus Christ is, is not just an example to us when it comes to attitudes, mindsets, uh, all of those things. Jesus Christ is an example to us when it comes to how we are going to be treated by others. And if the world treated him in such a fashion, what else can we expect? He uses a logical explanation. I'm the master. <laughs> hey, I love it. It's logic, right? I, I'm, I'm in charge. I'm the master. You guys are, we're, we're the slaves, right? We're the, we're the low ones. If they treat the master like this, what do you think they're going to do to the slaves? Should we be surprised? Should we be shocked? Should we fight against it? No. It's expected. I mean, think about the queen, right? You don't want to disrespect the queen. Well, God rest her soul, you can't disrespect her anymore. But I, I'm sure if I ever got to see the queen, there would be an international scandal. I would sneeze on her or do something of that, of that fashion. But there have been people that have done some crazy things. So Donald Trump actually kept her waiting 10 minutes, right? Wow. I, <laughs> you don't keep the queen waiting 10 minutes. I mean, yeah, you're shaking your head. That's a long time. You know, what was she doing? Right? And then he actually walked ahead of her and showed his back to her. Now, he probably didn't do that intentionally, but Michelle Obama gave her a hug. I think, I don't know if she got tackled by the security or what, but you don't, you don't touch the queen. And then this was an interesting one. Well, Formula One racer, Lewis Hamilton, sat on her left-hand side and initiated a conversation with her. Wait, you're saying, well, well, guess what? Number one, you never initiate a conversation with the queen. And number two, she talks to the person on her right first. I'm sure Lewis did not know that. But here's the thing. Can you imagine if someone actually intentionally disrespected the queen? And if they disrespected the queen, then would we think that we would be above such disrespect? No, absolutely not. Jesus Christ, though, is the king of all creation. Jesus Christ created the world. Jesus Christ created us. He comes down to his subjects, and what do we do? We mock him, we spit on him, we beat him, and then we nail him to a cross. How can we be surprised? If they treat us any differently, if not worse. It started making me think. 
about the life that I live here in America as a Christian pastor. To persecute means to pursue, to chase after. And that's what they did to Jesus until what? Until they killed him. I want you to listen to these statistics. This isn't to make us feel guilty. It's to make us understand that what you and I experience on a daily basis is not the norm. Every day, 13 Christians, 13 Christians worldwide are killed. So today, 13 of your brothers and sisters who love Jesus Christ will be killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted, taken from their families, from their friends. Persecutions of Christians has continued to intensify globally, reaching the highest level since the list, this is the World Watch list, uh, began nearly 30 years ago. More than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. 360 million, that represents one in seven. So count off seven, and there you go. That person is facing persecution on a daily basis. That map is eye-opening, isn't it? This is the experience of our brothers and sisters around the world. America is completely gray. And yet, we compromise. And yet, we're still afraid to share our faith. When we face not even an inkling of what these individuals are facing. When we preach Jesus Christ in America, are we preaching this too? Are we preaching that there's a cost to discipleship, a cost that's being exacted right now on our brothers and sisters around this world? Or are we preaching that every you're going to come in and there's going to be air conditioning and there's going to be comfy chairs and, and you're, going to, you're going to have all these wonderful friendships and all these wonderful programs? That's not what Jesus experienced. It's not what these people are experiencing. There's a cost to discipleship. You lose the world. The world hates you. And the world one, one day may, may chase you down, may persecute you. I know, I drove into work today just fine. No one was behind me. As far as I know, maybe someone is following me, I don't know, but that's probably not for me being a pastor, probably for me just being an idiot. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm preaching here today, right? There's no threat outside of our building right now, is there? Is, is, is anyone waiting? 
But yet we have celebrity pastors with bodyguards. What is going on? What's the message that we're sending? This is not normal what we're experiencing. Not historically in the church. But yet, we still compromise. We're still afraid of the world. There's a cost to following Jesus. You might lose your friends. Your family might turn against you. You might lose your job. You will lose this world. And you need to lose your life. Spiritually. You need to understand that you need to die to yourself. And if we can't agree to that, then Christianity is not for us. It's just not. It's not about comfort. There are thousands, a thousand of blessings with Christianity, absolutely. But there's this too. And we need to be preaching this because we're creating disciples that when they face this, they just turn like that and they flip. But just as there's the bad, there's the good too. So he says, if they kept my word, they're going to do what? They will keep yours also. So what is he, what is he saying here? Number one, I think that we could see is that one of the biggest distinguishing factors is what? His word, isn't it? Is this Bible. <laughs> Jesus' word. And he's letting us know that as, as definitely as there's going to be hatred and as definitely as people are going to treat you the way they treated me by persecution, they are going to follow you and love you the way that they followed and loved me. And the distinguishing factor of that is his word. And if you and I are following Jesus Christ, and we're abiding in him, and we're abiding in his word, then his word, our word should be what? His word, just like his word. We should, it should go hand in hand. It should parallel each other. So he's letting us know. He's giving us hope, isn't he? That you stick to the truth. You stick to the truth of my word. You proclaim my word. And even though this world is going to hate you, even though they might persecute you, even though they're going to treat you in, in this fashion, there are going to be those who will follow. There are going to be those who will believe. And those people are going to come around you and do exactly what we're doing here today. They're going to love you. And now that command to love kind of really stands out, doesn't it? Why do we need to love each other? Well, because of this. And he gives us a hope. People like Rosaria Butterfield, people like the Apostle Paul, people that he's going to choose out of this world. 
and place them in our family. That's why the Christian community is so important. That's why our fellowships are so important. You know, Bonhoeffer says this, and we know Bonhoeffer faced what? Persecution. He says the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Amen. Your presence here on a Sunday or, or like Saturday or whenever we're doing ministry together, your presence alone encourages us, encourages me. Just being with you here, knowing that you've come out of the world once again on a Sunday. You've come to hear His Word. You've come to, to worship Him. And you've come to declare loving Him and hating this world the way that He wants us to. So what have been your expectations for discipleship? I don't know, maybe you're disagreeing with the title Great Expectations. But did you expect that discipleship or following Jesus would be like those expectations of those pictures? Birds chirping in the sky, one big vacation, sunny blue skies, no crowds, clear picture. Well, I hope that your expectations match Jesus' reality. Because what Jesus experienced, what his reality was, must shape all of our expectations when it comes to how this world is going to treat us. We can expect the world is going to hate us because the world first hated him. We can expect that we will be treated in the same fashion. We can expect that we will be persecuted because we are not greater than our master. But we also can expect that there will be those who will believe him. There will be those who will follow. There will be those who will love us. And with these expectations, folks, comes a choice, doesn't it? Are you and I willing to be hated by this world? Are we willing to die to this life, to lose the love and the comforts of this earth? Are we willing to be persecuted for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in any form and fashion? Jesus does not want us to be disillusioned. He doesn't want us to think that Christianity is one big vacation. And our expectations need to match His reality. Father, Thank you for this word to us. Thank you for the challenge that it placed on my heart and I hope the hearts of those that are listening today. Lord, help us to abide in Christ. Help us to love him and help us to stand firm in a world that hates him in a world that will hate us as well. Lord, and help us to gather around each other and love one another as he has loved us, encouraging one another, lifting up each other, and challenging one another to go forth into this world 
and proclaim the only hope that we have, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.